Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. This is the Week 2 college football betting preview. Colin, it's not the greatest slate in the world, especially after last week. But what do we know about college football? Just when you expect nothing, expect the most. So you're excited to uh, talk some football. I'm 100% excited. Uh, I mean, there's a game going on right now while you and I are talking. No, I'm not talking about the NFL opener. I'm talking about Missouri State, Bobby Petrino, up a touchdown as we speak on Tennessee Martin. Why do I keep bringing this up, Bobby Petrino? They're playing Arkansas after this week. So it's like it's like my are you game. Like are you Super game Bowl. planning right now? Yeah, I, I just cannot believe Bobby Petrino is going to be back in Fayetteville. But anyways, that's next week. I'm, I'm actually really excited about this card because we're going to learn so much more about all these teams. We have one data point and this podcast, I'm going to have to preface myself saying we have one data point it's Maine or it's Colgate. Like it's tough to cap when you got one data point. Yeah. It's always the, the trickiest thing with week two in college football is we talked about this earlier in the week. You want to adjust your numbers because you're going to make the biggest adjustments early in the season, but you also don't want to overreact to one data point. So that's a, it's a very, very fine line. We're going to talk about a couple games here that I bet throughout the show where I made a big adjustment um, and could be wrong, could be right. Um, maybe in other aspects, I didn't adjust enough. So we we shall see. And we'll touch on all of that throughout the show. All right, let's start things off here with some Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Yeah, let's go play some football. Besides Bobby Petrino, college football was smart enough to not go head to head with the NFL this week, but we do have some college football on Friday night. Earlier this week, you mentioned, and I hope someone's able to get it because I did not. 
you mentioned that the line was too high on Louisville catching seven now down to five and a half at UCF Friday night, seven thirty Eastern on ESPN two total sitting steady at 61 and a half still playable at five and a half. Would you pass now <clears throat> wait for live? How concerning was that Louisville's performance? Because as we talked about, it's one data point. You can't overreact totally, but they were thoroughly outplayed at Syracuse. So thoughts there. Yeah, they were thoroughly outplayed. Satterfield said it. He gave all kinds of reasons, uh, blowing third and long, poor tackling. We didn't have any energy. We hit Garrett Schrader in the backfield from Syracuse, and we just bounced off of him. And Satterfield's preaching that his physicalness and the energy of the team is going to be needed to bring down Isaiah Bowser. Uh, Louisville could not have played worse. Five offensive trips past the 41.4 points. Five times the defense was allowed Syracuse within the 40, and they allowed they allowed them a 4.8 per trip. Uh, and now UCF just manhandled South Carolina State, which you know won the celebration bowl last year. So that kind of got a lot of attention. I power, I don't know where like the power ratings are all over the place. Like I, I have peaked at a couple others that are respected. I make this game a pick. I'm gonna stick with it because Satterfield's argument stuck is energy, is effort. So how do you handicap that out of a spreadsheet? You just have to think that Satterfield's going to get his team to play this week. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I just hope that there's nothing more at play here because why would you? How could you not be up for a conference opener in week one? I get it if it's like a week one sleepy spot at a you know a non-conference game, but man. Um, they just looked really poor. Seven is a great grab, obviously a key number. I think I'm going to wait to see if I see anything live. Um, it should be a back and forth game. If you recall last year, it was a pretty wild one. So I'm going to wait later on Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern CBS Sports Network. Boise State will make the trip to New Mexico. Boise is a 16 and a half point favorite. Over-under is coming down here. It's down below 45, down to 44. It's a pretty big spread for a road team to lay at a total of 44. It's not a great spot for Boise State either. They go up to Corvallis, and for lack of a better word, they got their asses kicked on late Saturday night. And now you're coming down to Albuquerque for a Friday night game on the road, the second straight road game. We've talked about New Mexico. They're running – they have – they're running another offense. It's an option-based offense. I don't know if you we can need to call it all offense, but it is an offense. Their defense is pretty good. Their coaches can all coach defense. Their defense should be solid. And they're going up against a Boise team, which breaking news has a quarterback controversy. Is it Hank Beckmeyer? Is it the new kid that came in? Dual threat. Sears is no longer around, but Beckmeyer looked awful last week. The offensive line didn't look great. This is just a Boise program. People got to get used to it. They, the recruiting has gone down. They're just – it's not the it's not your older brother's Boise State team. Thoughts on this one? Yeah, offensive coordinator Tim Plough is having some serious issues after a ton of offensive struggles last year in his first year as coordinator. That has carried over. No points in the first half against Oregon State. Hank Bachmeyer had three turnovers in his first six drives. Boise State, 17 points in the second half. I mean, go and look at the play-by-play data. They were spotted field position at the Beavers 25. They got a field goal. Two plays and an explosive run. They had a TD. I mean, that is the extent of what their offense was last week. So Taylor Green takes over after Hank Bachmeyer. 
Uh, and, you know, he ends up with 102 rushing yards, two TDs on the ground. He also threw an INT. Can, can Boise score 17 to cover this spread is the first question. And can New Mexico stop Taylor Green? Because it's going to come down to him. It ain't going to be more Hank Bachmeyer. Lobos gave up just 22 rushing yards to Maine. I know it's Maine, but it's 22 rushing yards. They dominated them in scoring opportunities. And the offense put up 41 points, 260 that was on the ground. So you have to ask yourself, can Boise handle that on the ground? Uh, they were absolutely destroyed by Oregon State. Now, Oregon State is a sneaky good uh, ground game, ground team. They always have been. So, you know, Andy Avalos says this is an open competition. Tim Plows have problems finding points as coordinator. I'm taking the 17 here. I mean, I, I think it's a little low, but at the same time with this total, it's not just 17. It's actually higher on the value because the total being at 44. How does Boise score enough and cover this? Take my money if you, if you guys can score enough on New Mexico. All right, that's enough New Mexico offense talk. It's time to move on to our marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week two. All right, we're obviously going to start with Alabama at Texas, noon Eastern on Fox. Alabama, 20-point favorite. Over is taking money here up to 65 Look, I'm going to let you make the case for Texas. I'm still on the fence from a pure numbers perspective. If I yeah. look at my projection. I think that there's value on Texas, but I, I'm a little bit, I'm still a little bit concerned about the Texas defense, right? We didn't learn anything last week based on their opponent. And while they do have one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country, again, we didn't learn anything last week. And he's just a kid is the speed of Alabama that defense is going to be too much for him. Does this get out of control early? I keep going back and forth on this. I say, all right, I want to bet maybe Texas first half because of the number. The scripted portion will kind of calm yours down. But then I say to myself, maybe I'll wait if he's nervous early, make some mistakes, and maybe I'll wait to get a, a better number live. So I'm all over the place here. But from a numbers perspective, I do think that there's value in Texas. Make the case for you your boy Sark in Texas. <laughs> Love Coach Sark. Uh, I'm a fan of Steve Sarkeesian, but I'm going to make a case here for why you should take Texas. Now, I will say that I grabbed 21 earlier in the week. I am patiently waiting. I think the steam, the parlay cards, once those come in on Saturday, it's going to push this thing up to 21. If it's 21 and a half, great. I'll put in another, I'll shove in another unit on it and enjoy myself. But if you want to make an actual case when it comes to the gridiron, what happens on the, on, on the, on the field, the offensive line play from Alabama was not stellar against Utah State. Bryce Young had four scrambles in the game for 107 yards. That's not what you want your Heisman Trophy winner quarterback doing. More importantly, he's out there taking shots in the middle of the field. And in game one against Utah State, Quinn Ewers looks great on film. The sidearm sling at all distances, the ability to float and evade pressure, stepping up in the pocket to make throws. And despite that, it looks like he fell out of a white snake video. And he had his Porsche towed, <laughs> like two things that I just hate. I saw he got his car towed. Was it a it's Porsche? It's a Porsche. It's a Porsche. Ah. And then I deal got out of a Porsche. It got towed. And nice. yes, he looks like something out of White Snake. White Snake. White Snake. But no, it, he the only mistake that he made is he was running to the right and he tried to throw it. He tried to thread it between a couple defenders. I don't think he'll make that mistake again against Alabama. Um, but you know, this game stuck. I, I go back to this. We talk about this in the summer. 
tell me if I'm wrong here. This game <clears throat> feels like when Alabama has been in the college football playoffs, specifically in the semifinals. When they played Notre Dame and Cincinnati, Saban would put it into fifth gear. He would get a three-possession lead, and then he'd sit on the ball, right? Notre Dame covered that semifinal playoff game because what was the goal? Get the victory, get out of town, be healthy for the national championship. What's the point in blowing out Texas here, putting up a 55 to nothing? Could it happen? Sure. They could just line up and be that much better. I don't think they are, especially from Texas's offensive side. But And, and Alabama's defense is amazing. Uh, it, right, that what they did to Utah State to allow them to only throw for like 110 yards that secondary, what Alabama did against Utah State it is amazing. But Bijan Robinson is not playing for Utah State, so I think there's going to be a lot of misdirection, a lot of other things happening. But Saban has no desire to run the score up here. Incidentally, don't ask me, I told you everything I know, I don't, I don't have anything else to say about it. The, to me, this is semifinal playoff territory. Get the win, stay healthy, get out. Bryce Young's taking licks and scrambles. No, take a knee, get on the, get, you know, get your ass on the turf. Let's get out of here healthy and start our SEC schedule. So, like I said, I'll buy 21, I'll buy 21 and a half, I'll buy anything over 21 because it, it's backdoor territory. But anything under that, I, I'm not going to touch. But th- this is completely all about Alabama just needs to win and get out. Sark covers this game then Texas is on the right path. And that's exactly what you're going to hear after the game. There's the Sark mention. There's no media day mention, so I only cast one of my two bets for your breakdown there. But if, from what you said, it sounds like I should slam on the brakes of my Porsche and wait. Like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. Wait for a potentially a better number live rather than go first yeah. half Texas, which I think is sitting at around 12 because look i agree with everything you said look the texas defensive line looked great quinn yours was obviously extremely talented at quarterback looked great but after every sentence you could always say but it was you all yeah but i agree the value is on texas uh and uh especially if you can get 21 or better i might wait live there all right let's stay in the sec break down kentucky at florida Florida is a sitting around a six line, moving around a little bit. Six point home favorite over under sitting at around 51. Uh, I've expressed some of my concerns for Kentucky, primarily the offensive line, which looked fairly shaky last week against a Mac team with a rebuilding defense. I don't know if we can still consider the Kentucky offensive line, the big blue wall. So I do have some current concerns there, especially going up against Florida's defensive line. But I really like the under here. I made the case early in the week. I said, let's wait on a – see if we can get 52, key number. And it looks like it was starting to come down, so I grabbed some 52 early tonight. I saw you did the same. And my handicap there is, look, I think the Kentucky offense really misses Wondell Robinson, and I think will early in the season. The offensive line, there are issues. The backfield, not fully healthy. On the other side – Florida, Kentucky does a really good job of preventing explosive plays always. And that is what you need to do against Anthony Richardson because on a down-to-down basis, he's not going to really beat you with accuracy and throws up and down the field, but he will absolutely kill you with explosive plays. And Kentucky does an outstanding job at preventing those. So I, I think this total, which I think opened around soft openers, was like 48 and it took a lot of over. I think that was much closer to the correct number. So obviously 51, 52 being key numbers, I'd like the under here. You agree? And 
I assume you're going to make a case for your beloved Wildcats as well. <laughs> My beloved Wildcats. Uh, I do agree on the under. Uh, the, you mentioned the offensive line. Uh, the, there's no juice in Cavassier Smoke's uh, running game whatsoever. There's no explosive. None of those running backs that got touches had any explosive. They purposely kept Will Levis's running game off film. You know, I mean, Florida knows it's coming. We all know it's coming, but he didn't have any runs uh, against Miami of Ohio. And I think there's a way to attack Florida, uh, specifically the Utah attacked Mari Bernie at linebacker. Uh, he was targeted eight times by Utah and they had plenty of success. So I think there's a path for the Kentucky offense to have a little bit of life. But Jordan Wright being cleared to play, it, to me, adds a ton of stability. He's been there for, I don't know, is this his sixth year? And you already said it. What we do know about the Kentucky defense is that they're well coached. They're, they lead nationally in tackle grading and defending the explosive play. That's what you have to have when it comes to guarding Anthony Richardson. Uh, I mean, he created just one single missed tackle against Kentucky last year. Granted, he sat out the previous two games for injury, so we don't know how healthy he was when he came into that game. But listen, the market hates Kentucky. I think this game should be closer to Florida minus two. Last week, that, that point spread, what, moved six points uh, away from Kentucky? Uh, that shows you how much the market hates Kentucky, even though that they covered. And now here we go again. The number that I think should be Florida minus two is up around six. And even with the announcement, Jordan Wright is playing, you know, no movement to the line. But And don't expect Chris Rodriguez to come back. That's probably going to be a four-game suspension. So yeah. I think the spread is too high. Uh, I think Kentucky kept Levis is running off film. I think that's going to be a big factor here. And the fact that they can contain explosiveness, I think that gives the Wildcats legs. Yeah, Kentucky doesn't like to play fast. And if, if for whatever reason they're up here, they'll sit on it. They'll sit on the ball and just run this clock down. Yeah, I mean, I think this line has gotten too out of control and I'm pretty low on Kentucky. So I won't be joining you on the side, but I do agree on the under. All right, let's move on and hit. Let's move on to Cyhawk, a game that I'm sure you're itching to talk about. Iowa State traveling to Iowa. Iowa is a three and a half point favorite over under 40. Iowa has dominated this series while Matt Campbell has been in Ames at Iowa State. I think I saw online earlier today. Look, I know it's tough to lay points with Iowa. Iowa minus three and a half, but two safeties do indeed cover three and a half. So a four nothing final here. Iowa does indeed get you to the window. Look, Iowa State, they obviously lost our guy, Brocktober. Deckers, their backup, he has some experience filling in. He looked pretty good. He has a rocket arm last week, but playing in FCS school, big step up in competition. Anytime these teams play, and this is kind of the case with whoever Iowa plays, it's Iowa's going to dominate the special teams. Iowa's going to have seven turnovers. Iowa State's going to outgain them. Iowa State's going to win the box score from an offensive standpoint, but Iowa's going to win. Are we getting Iowa cheap here at home after everyone saw them just win seven to three? And that seven included zero touchdowns last week against an FCS score. Are we getting them cheap at home? What are your thoughts here? Well, I keep hearing like uh, Iowa and offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, uh, you know, kept a lot of the playbook <laughs> off the game against uh, South Dakota State because they didn't want to have anything out there for Iowa State. I think that's bogus. I mean, they scored 38 against Miami of Ohio back in 2019. The offense is just flat out heading in the wrong direction. Spencer Peters is being booed off the field. I mean, it, it Iowa is so far past dumpster fire status on offense. I mean, when we're scoring safeties and field goals here, we, we've really got to handicap other areas. So not to spend too much time on this, but both defensive lines are going to dominate the other offense, the opposing offensive line, which means under city, right? I do think that this is an under game all the way. 
Uh, but you know, you don't know just how good Hunter Deckers is after he just tore up Southeast Missouri state from, from Rolla. Uh, he had a three to one ratio and big time throws versus turnover worthy plays. But like we said, one data point. So I agree that, you know, there's a reason why this number is sinking so much. Iowa's offensively inept defensive lines uh, should absolutely dominate here. But my question you stuck, and we'll talk about this with army Navy and all these other games that fall like some Wisconsin games this year. What number are we buying the over at? Cause the next keys are 38 and 37. Stop. The next numbers are 30. Are, are you buying at 38 or 37 on the over? That's what I got to ask. Uh, 36 and a half. Okay. All right. So for me, I'm not going to play. I I'm not going to play Iowa. I all the you sharp. But you bet the San Diego State under last under. week, and now you cannot wait to redeem yourself yeah. with an Iowa over. I I would love to play the over here just for fun. For uh, fun. Uh, yeah. There's nothing. Fun. Watching friends punt on fourth and one from the 28 for like a net of 27 yards and then hoping for a safety to get you two points. That's your definition of fun. It's going to be 1 PM local time in Vegas. What else am I going to do? I mean, I bet in the over on Iowa, Iowa state sounds like a lot of fun to me, but no. Uh, so I think really, uh, I, you know, I've seen, there's a lot of professional money coming in at Iowa minus three. Uh, that may be too many points. Uh, if it does dip down again, I think you should consider getting it. That's the side that you probably want. To I agree beat. there. I agree. Three okay. is Iowa's a play. The half point is that important, especially yes. I mean, in most football games, but especially in this game where uh, you're rooting for safeties to cover. Yep, I agree. Maybe 83 is not a key number in Iowa games. It's two now. Um, it's safeties involved, yeah. And the two. Rogue. Can we get the Canadian Football League Rogue? It's only two. Uh, by the way, before we move on to the next game, I have uh, an email here. wanted to ask you a question. It says, hi, my name is Shunky from Lexington. San Diego State plays Idaho State on Saturday night. I need a winner there. Looking to bet the over-under. Can you get Colin's thoughts? So, Colin, your thoughts on the San Diego State total on Saturday night? Well, considering Jacob Cowing tore this defense up, which I didn't think anybody could do, and considering San Diego State had some offense themselves, we're now on the overtrain all the time with San Diego. Oh my God. The Bengal, what is it? Idaho State Bengals? Is that what it's <laughs> oh, yeah, man. man. Overs all the way. You heard it here first, San Diego State under on Saturday night against Idaho State. <laughs> hey, jumping in here real quick about the Idaho State Bengals program. It's in Pocatello, Idaho, and they play in Holt Arena, which was the very first indoor football stadium ever built on a college campus. And with the closure of the Astrodome in 2006, it is now the oldest enclosed stadium in America still in use. It is undergoing a dramatic renovation at the moment. So if you'd like to buy a stadium seat from Holt Arena, they're available on their website for $50. Go Bengals. All right, let's let's move on to our next marquee game of the day. I'd argue this is – I'm looking forward to this game more so than any on the card. 10-15 Eastern. Got a late, late night kick to Baylor at BYU. BYU is a three-point favorite. Over-unders ticked up a bit to 53 and a half. I don't know if I have uh, the authority to talk about any BYU games the rest of the year after I recommended people bet South Florida last week. But again, South Florida wins easily without the lightning delay. Am I right? UTEP guy. Uh, so BYU three-point favorite here. More favorable news, it looks like, on the receiver front. Like Nakua, Sataki said he could have went back in the game. He scored the first two touchdowns. But obviously BYU was up by four touchdowns before South Florida even blinked. Gunnar Romney has a better chance to play this week. B 
BYU will be seeking revenge for a loss last year in which Jerry Bohannon was the quarterback. They got their revenge over Bohannon last week. Do they get their revenge over Baylor this week at home? Should be a raucous environment. Thoughts on Baylor at BYU? Yeah, Nakua and Romney are uber important to this handicap. It's a game time decision for them. And why are they so important? Because the trenches were dominated by Baylor last year. And they're going to dominate them again. I mean, I know BYU plays tough in the trench, but it is, I mean, Baylor is elite on the offensive line. Baylor has a couple players on the defensive line, Sika, that just cannot be dealt with. So you need these explosive players out there, you know, for Jaron Hall to be able to have quick throws to, you've got to have them lined up wide slot, whatever. And if you don't have those weapons out there, you're not going to be able to create explosive play. So that's why those two are so important. And I bet BYU already, I bet the money line early in the week because there was a cheap minus 140. I would bet minus three if I knew that Romney and Naku are in there. So I would definitely, uh, when is this kickoff here? Let me look. It's late. It's 9.15 Central. I would uh, definitely look 90 minutes before time. You're going to know who's out on the field practicing. You see Romney and Nakua out there. That's a BYU play. They're not out there. I'd probably lay off. But, you know, interestingly enough, Albany targeted Al Wolcott of Baylor twice as many as any other defender. You know, I'm not really tipping my cap to Baylor. Albany won just two games last year. You know, Aranda lost 50% of his PBUs from last season, and that wasn't tested against Albany. So, you know, that's why Puka and Gunner are so important to the handicap here because Baylor's going to dominate the trench once again. So BYU minus three, maybe three and a half if they get their wide receivers, or maybe a minus 140 if the money line pops down. I see some 150s out there as we're recording this. Yeah, I'm obviously uh, not the authority on BYU. I... Would like BYU under three, at three, three and a half. It's a little iffier for me. So nothing there as of now, but uh, I don't hate your breakdown at all. All right, let's close up with our final marquee game of the weekend. And we're going to stay in prime time and talk a little Pac-12 football. Oh, no! We suck again! 7.30 Eastern, ABC, USC. At Stanford, Stanford has taken some money. I remember in the preseason pod, you said, mm-hmm. hey, let's take the look at line of Stanford plus 11. I regret not following along on that decision. So good call there. Total 67 and a half. I know you love you some tree. This yeah. make, the, make the case. A few months ago, I hit this game of the year at 11. You know, it's one of the few game of years that I hit, and I'm I, it's happy to know that it opens up and it falls even farther. I think if this thing will be down around seven, seven and a half by the time uh, we kick off. And the theory from the summer was that teams with explosive offenses will be able to battle USC in coin flip situations. <laughs> and Tanner McKee is going to light up uh, USC's defense like they're like a Christmas tree. He lit up Colgate again, one data point FCS. And I know that's not a very good defense, but he had a two to one TD to INT ratio, but he had four big time throws. Uh, and you know, I, yeah, he's a pro prospect and I'd argue yeah. he might be the most pro ready quarterback right now. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, yards per route run is a stat that we're going to start talking about that the PFF has put together and it just shows how many times a target uh, is actually getting a ball thrown his way. And what did he do with that target when he, once he got it, anything over two yards per route run is considered explosive. Stanford had five targets over that mark last week. Again, one data point FCS, I get it. But besides one drop by Michael Wilson, it was a flawless box score and a flawless defensive performance. So USC bombed Rice. Uh, you know, the final score was 66 to 14. 
But you know what sticks in my mind, Stuck? Look at Rice's first drive of the game, right? This, I mean, before the three pick sixes, before like five INTs and six drives, before all that happened, look at the Owls' first drive. 16 plays, drained eight minutes off the clock, finished it off with a touchdown. Then Rice started being Rice and all hell broke loose. But that first drive, 16 plays, eight minutes off the clock, and USC couldn't do anything about it? That's who they really are. These instant offenses in the Pac-12 are going to have a field day with these USC defenses. So, you know, if you see USC wins this game, maybe it's because Tanner McKee throws three pick sixes. I don't know. And maybe USC is that team with the horseshoe up their ass this year. But I'm telling you, Stanford has the goods to win this game outright. You've convinced me. I I completely agree. Look, last year, if you recall, Stanford, which finished with three wins, one at USC. But you know what this game reminds me of? Their home game against Oregon, who was ranked third in the country at the time. Later in the year, it was actually the last game that Stanford won. I think it was in early October. I remember having them in a round robin. We'll be doing the same here. You know what that spread was last year? Oregon, Stanford? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Just where it is today. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's still major problems with that USC defense. And I think all the shiny pieces inflated this opener. Still a little bit of value on Stanford. Stanford will be included in the round robin. I know you do a video for Action Network. Big bets on campus live Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern with myself, Brett McMurphy, and Colin, presented by BetMGM. We will go through, Colin and I will go through a round robin on that show. You better believe Tree will be included. Let's hope to avoid some of the pick sixes. All right, let's move on to the rundown. We'll go through uh, four or five games here that uh, we have some takes on. All right, let's start with Duke at Northwestern. We're seeing North Northwestern here is a 10-point favorite over under sitting right at 56. This is a, a rematch from last year in which Duke jumped out to an early lead and then held on for the win. We're seeing Northwestern for the first time since its win over Nebraska in Ireland. And Duke looked really impressive in its opening season win over Temple. Uh, when I look at this game, I like the under. Now, it made me sick. I bet the under at 56. Uh, a group hit it midweek, like four hours after I bet it hit the over. And it went to 58 and a half. So I hope some of you woke up and were able to get under 58 and a half. Because I have bet under 56. Because now it's destined to, to land on 57. But I can see why some people did like the over. But I adjusted Duke's defense way up. After week one. Now that could be wrong because they played Temple and Temple has a completely incompetent offense. But one, I love what I saw. Number two, it was completely dominant. Like Duke didn't dominate anyone like that. And number three, it's Mike Elko, a defensive genius who came in there and I was expecting Duke's defense to improve. So once I saw it, I made a major adjustment. Now Duke was slow last year, but Duke wants to play fast now under the new offense coordinator comes over from Memphis. So, and, you know, their quarterback, Riley Leonard, looked really good. I think he started the game 16 to 16. So I can see that, you know, someone market out there says, hey, look, Duke wants to play really fast. Northwestern's offense looked a lot better with Holinsky. But that game, you know, I tend to disagree with that. I think Duke's defense is really improved. I think Northwestern's defense, second year of a new coordinator, will be improved. I also don't think Northwestern's offense will look that good the rest of the 
season. They were kind of in a shootout with Nebraska who couldn't tackle. And I mean, a lot of that was just like throws to the flat. So I think this will be a lower scoring game. If you recall last year, this total when these two teams played was 49 and a half. Now you're, it's a touchdown more. And by the way, last year, Duke went on to be in a historically bad defense. Northwestern was one of the worst defenses in the country after losing its longtime coordinator. I think both defenses will be improved. Yes, Duke's going to play a little faster, but I think under, under here. I think this is much lower scoring than the market implies. I'm happy for anyone that came that got 58 because I have 56 and it makes me sick whenever I don't get the best line, but sometimes <laughs> it happens. I actually had the over down in this game. So I guess to play devil's advocate, Northwestern ran 24 seconds per play uh, faster than they've ever ran before. And, and we mentioned the Duke wants to go up tempo, you know, so we expect the track to be a little bit faster than what we've seen in the past. Uh, I could not get over Duke's three touchdown drives against Temple because the total plays in the drive were four, five, and seven. These two teams had two really poor performances from a special team standpoint in their first games, field position, missed assignments. Uh, there could be some easy scores from there too. So uh, Ryan Helinski and Evan Hole look like they're chugging along and against Nebraska's defense. They're running at 24 seconds per play. Duke is now all of a sudden an explosive offense. I get it with the defensive look. I, I love Mike Elko too. Uh, but uh, considering the pace that these two want to play faster than last year when they scored, I think, 53 points, I, I lean to the over here. I can see both sides. Argument. This is a perfect example of a week two game where you could have two completely legitimate but opposing points of view on a game. Now, there could be not much improvement on the Duke's defense at all. It was just that Temple's offense is that incompetent once again. All right, let's uh, take a look at App State at Texas A&M. Texas A&M open on a 17-point favorite. has taken some money up to around minus 19 over under holding steady at around 54 Texas A&M with a typical Texas A&M win kind of a snoozer after a weather delayed last week against a really good FCS school in Sam Houston State. I think the final score was 31, nothing app state played in the complete opposite type of game in an absolute wild shootout that they ended up losing by two in a game where it felt like in the fourth quarter, there was a hundred points. They will now travel to Texas A&M. I like the under here. It's scary in a way because of what App State's defense looked like last week. And they lost a lot in that secondary, lost both safeties. They lost a, a cornerback to the NFL. They lost a, a linebacker and conference defensive player of the year to the NFL. And the defense got torched by UNC. Their, and their offense kept right up. But they're going to go up against an elite defense now, not UNC's Swiss cheese defense. And they're going to go up against the worst offense, I think, right now. Well, under Fisher, by the way, Fisher, if you look back historically against group of five teams, he holds them almost always to 14 or under. Only one team has gotten to 20 from non-power five that Texas A&M has played under Fisher. That was in 2018. UAB got the 20. They scored two garbage time touchdowns. That's it. One of them was after a fumble at the five. It was a five-yard drive. So I, I don't think – I think App State's going to struggle to get past 14 here, but – if, and this is an App State team. They looked awesome last week, but they were re replacing four super senior wide receivers from last year. The excellent backfield, but I think Texas A&M can dominate the line of scrimmage here. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Texas A&M's offense, we know it's conservative. Jimbo Fisher has come out and said, we need to figure out the run game. The run game was not working. That's what he wants to do. They couldn't run the ball against Sam Houston State. Reason being, you know, they did lose Spiller, their running back to the NFL. 
but they brought back a, a good backup and he couldn't do anything. He averaged almost seven yards per carry last year. I think he was under three last week, offensive line injuries. They had injuries at left guard. They had injuries at center. Their center was ill in plays questionable this week, moving a lot of guys around. So Texas m always wants to be conservative. Fisher was hammering the point home in his presser. I think I'm the first one to bring up coach speak here on this podcast. That had to be an underdog <laughs> that he wants to, we need to figure out the run game. We need to work on the run game. We need to figure it out. That go. I don't claim to be no 36 ACT now. Coaches say stuff like that, but I believe it because that's what Texas A&M does. That's what they're going to have to rely on here. And you have to hope that Haynes King doesn't make mistakes. He's played, started in two games now, and the competition has been that great. He's started multiple picks in both. So I think you're going to see Texas A&M. They should, you know, size-wise, should on the line of scrimmage. So they'll be able to move the ball. They're going to play slower. I think they're going to build a big lead, work on that run blocking. Uh, and I actually think this stays mm-hmm. under. If App State's defense is just horrendous, it'll get scary. But um, I think Texas A&M's defense will do its part here. What are your thoughts? I agree with you that it, it is probably going to be low scoring. The first thing that came to my mind with this is that it's a perfect situational spot for a Texas A&M first half. And when you look at App State, they just got yeah, done sir. playing. Yeah, they just got done playing an in-state rival with North Carolina, and the game was just epic. It had three parts to it. If it was a book, it had three parts. App State led 21-7. App State's down by 20, caught up to the 49-49. And then finally, they lost by two after scoring 40 points in the fourth quarter. I, I literally thought this had to be like three overtime. How did you score 40 points in the fourth quarter? So you're telling me that you lost by two to an in-state rival to a Power 5 school with Michael Jordan on their shoes. And now you're going to fly to College Station and you're going to have that same kind of energy and 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 want to win in the first half of this game I against a team that is far superior from a physical standpoint and the trench yeah, on yeah. both sides of the ball. This is a huge mismatch when it comes to recruiting talent. And then when you look at Texas A&M, you say, well, why didn't you play the full game or why didn't you play 19 or 17 on open? They play Miami next week. I'm not sure Jimbo wants to be flashing anything or have, and he he'll be more than happy to roll his second string out there in the second half. If he's got a three score lead. So I don't want to mess with that. They do play Miami the next week. I think the first half Jimbo's going to try to figure things out, get some points up on the board, call it a day. And I don't think app state shows up at all after last week. All right. Time to scratch Collins itch and talk some Arkansas football, South Carolina heads to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas, Arkansas, yeah, eight and a half point favorite here. Hold has held pretty steady this week over under 53. Curious just to get your take here. If you have any updates on some of the Arkansas injuries and what are your thoughts? Woo pig suey. Collins talking Razorback football. Well, Miles Slusher and Jalen Catalan are still hurt. And Pittman said earlier today, it was Thursday we're recording this. Pittman said earlier today, we're still trying to find a plan for how those two get back on the field. Go Hogs. There's a lot of problems on this defense. And not just the injuries that are happening in now the back seven, not the back eight. Uh, Besides those injuries that are happening where players are starting to rotate around, this defensive line got no pressure whatsoever on Cincinnati. As a matter of fact, Cincinnati screwed themselves out of that game last week. Uh, they should have covered that game, probably should have gone to overtime. They should have had a chance to win. Uh, I believe they got down to the goal. I think they, you know, and they, they penaltyed themselves all the way back to the 40. Uh, just a really rough. And one. couldn't make a kick. Couldn't make a kick, which would have made the cover and everybody wouldn't get paid except for Brett McMurphy, who took Arkansas on the show. There are problems with Arkansas's defense from an injury standpoint in the back, from the fact that it's just ineffective on the front. 
that three-man front they've been running all these years, gone. Four-man front. Isaiah Nichols, the guy that was picked to be the nose tackle, he may be hurt and not playing either. So when you turn to the other side of the ball, you know, you got KJ Jefferson limping around at the end of the Cincinnati game. You know, you've got Dominique Johnson not cleared yet at running back to come back in. It's really this elite offensive line and the Raheem Rocket Sanders running show. That is going to dominate South Carolina. Why? This may be the worst trench on both sides of the ball in the SEC. Uh, that that offensive line can't protect Spencer Rattler at all. Vandy, Vandy would like a word. Uh, watch out for them this weekend, by the way, with uh, Wake and everything. But the offensive line can't protect Spencer Rattler. The defensive line can't get any pressure, and they can't handle the run blocking of Arkansas. As we're sitting this, I would go under 53. I think it's Arkansas lining up and running the ball over and over and over. A.J. Green is getting a ton of touches in practice. Uh, Pittman has said he is the speediest back that Arkansas has. I would be a little nervous about laying eight or nine with an Arkansas team that is probably going to have a 14-point lead, and then South Carolina is going to get it to seven. 14-point lead, get it back to seven. I think you're flipping coins at that point. Uh, Under is the best bet for me because I don't see anything flashy out of Arkansas this week. It's just line up run them over and try to get healthy because from a defensive standpoint, they're hurt. Yeah. That would be the only thing that scared me because as soon as those injuries happened, you saw the Cincy offense, just that guy's wide open communication yep. issues. That would be my concern there. Georgia state outgained South Carolina. Yeah. Spencer yeah. Rattler only hit half his passes. Georgia state should have won that game. Like I know the South, South Carolina, Carolina had two fifty plus yard field goals. So that's something to watch their special teams. And they also scored two touchdowns off block punts. So 20 of their points came on block punts or 50-plus yard field goals. Yeah. Pretty wild. Under. And Georgia State opened that game uh, by turning it over on downs inside the South Carolina 10. Um, yeah, I don't hate the under. Um, all right, final game of the rundown here, Tennessee at Pitt. It's a top 25 matchup. Tennessee's six-point favorite over under 65. I actually love Tennessee this year. Low on Pitt. Wanted a better number here. Not in, I know you're not the same with Pitt. But I, I'm, I'm not laying six. My hope here, and I know you're probably going to make a case for your boy Narduzzi uh, as a six-point home dog here. Pitt is one of my favorite under teams this year. I But I try to convince myself not to bet Tennessee under. I want to go a million miles per hour at all times. So I'm probably stay away from the total. But um, handicap here for me is pretty simple. I wanted Tennessee in the spot. Number is not right for me. I want Pitt. Should be a lot of, like total 65. Should be some live opportunities here. Uh, I want hopefully Tennessee to get down early and can grab them live, ideally just to win the game. I think Hooker can make some plays here against Pitt's defense, which you need to do with explosive passing plays. They play really aggressive man press on the outside and quarters defense a lot. And you have to have a quarterback and receivers that can hit explosive plays. I think Tennessee has that. So if they get down, they can come right back into this game at any time. So I'll be looking for Tennessee live. I assume you're going to make a case for Narduzzi. I heard somebody handicapping this week that said that Pitt didn't spend a lot of time prepping for Tennessee because they were so worried about the backyard brawl. Get (laughs) out of here. They saw Tennessee last year. They've seen Hendon Hooker a billion times. Even Narduzzi said we've seen him 12 times, right, because of his days at Virginia Tech. Pitt knows Tennessee like the back of their hand. And same for Josh Heupel. These two coaches know each other from a long time ago. Don't forget, Pitt played UCF multiple times. These two coaching staffs are very familiar with each other. So it's a really bad handicap to say stuff like that. But I think this game's going to overtime. That said, I think this is an overtime game. Now, I took Pitt 
I bought it at seven. I'd buy it at six and a half. I'd buy it at six. I did a full write-up on Action Network. There is, you know, extreme details in there about where Kadon Slovis is going to throw. Specifically, you know, Tennessee was getting targeted by Ball State in between the hashes, between 10 to zero and behind the line of scrimmage. Where did Slovis throw all against West Virginia? That zone. And that's just where they are with their running backs, with Hammond, with Anaconda. So I think this is a very even matchup. I power rate it as a pick. I think it's going to go to overtime. I think the points with Pitt are good. An overtime call. Yeah. An overtime call. Bold, 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 bold. Uh, I'll be looking for Tennessee live there. All right. Before we continue, as a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects. Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, thanks again to our sponsors, BetMGM. Before we get out of here, Ugly Slate is going to be one of our shorter episodes, but we still have to go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. First down, our favorite bets. Uh, I'll kick things off with Eastern Michigan catching 11 and a half. Anything above 10, I think is fine at Louisiana. This game is on NFL network. And I, I think just too many points for a Chris Creighton team that always plays teams close. Colin, ready? Trivia question. The only team that has lost more one possession games since 2018 than Eastern Michigan. I thought it was Eastern Michigan. <laughs> one team has lost more Nebraska. <laughs> obviously Nebraska, right. uh, but Eastern Michigan has been very good as a double digit underdog under Creighton. They don't beat themselves always highly ranked in turnovers uh, in penalties. And I just have a lot of questions about this Louisiana team, this Louisiana team that is in rebuild mode and <clears throat> many parts of their roster. They still don't have the quarterback situation figured out. They're still using two quarterbacks New head coach, Michael DeSormo. He said, that's still the plan this week. You know, fields gets the start. And then you have the Woldridge, the Fresno State transfer, come in for maybe three or four drives. I never like that for an offense that can't get into rhythm. But they, they're they replacing a lot of pieces. That offense looked bad last week. I think that they're going to struggle early on. They're going to struggle to cover a number like this. I think there's a lot of value on EMU, a team that I'm higher on than most. So give me the Eagles and Creighton to keep this as a one-possession game. How about you, yeah. favorite bet? 
I'm going to flip over and do the Oklahoma Kent State over in the first half. Uh, right now, there's some 37 and a halves out there. I've seen some 40s out there. I think all those numbers are good. Oklahoma, welcome to the new age of up-tempo offense under Jeff Levy. Last week, 21 seconds per play. Faster than their opponent, Kent State, at 23 seconds per play. This Last is fast. Yeah, this is going to be an absolute lightning show, rocketing up and down the field. Kent State's defense, one of the worst in the nation. Washington scored at will when Kent State came to town last week. Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel. Listen, Dylan Gabriel's in a Heisman campaign, and he's going to continue to put up these numbers. If I'd be shocked if Oklahoma doesn't have 35 points at the end of this first half. Uh, it just makes sense. that OU did not pull their starters last week until the end of the third quarter. So, you know, there's reasons why you probably don't want to take a full game over. Although you put these two tempos together, you're going to get some explosive fireworks, some explosive plays, lots of touchdowns, Heisman building numbers for Dylan Gabriel. And Kent State is just here to get paid and try to cover the spread. And that's exactly what they're going to do every week. They try to do it in Washington. I just think I know mathematically they got this number by dividing from what the full total is. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma and Kent State, there's going to be a lot of points here. So first half over. Yeah, and especially if Kent State's struggles on the kickoff game continue, because if they ever score, then Oklahoma's starting at like midfield. A lot of these teams do, and then they're going to score within seconds. This game should be played at a lightning's pace. Yeah, Kent State probably towards the end just let's stay healthy. You saw that with Miami of Ohio. That's the problem. These MAC teams have to be really worried about this non-conference play when they go play power five teams they get the payday and it really helps the program but early in the season you don't want to get a lot of injuries Miami of Ohio lost their starting quarterback Gabbert for a while they're starting left tackle they're starting tight end um that could end up costing them you called me you you called that on me back in July like what happens if they get hurt and I'm like what do you mean what happens yeah they're hurt already yeah one week Gabbert Gabbert is uh that's a tough loss. And I'm not, they haven't said how long they'll be out. So he might be back by conference play, but certainly something to monitor. All right, let's move on to second down. We'll talk our favorite overdog, AKA our favorite favorite. It's called the overdog parlay. Believe it or not, I'm going to bet Holton Aylers for a second straight week. Look, it's in his 50th and final season. I got, I got to get as many bets as I can out on Holton Aylers, who did come through for me last week against NC State in a game that they actually outplayed them in a lot of statistical categories liked how the offense looked i thought the defense was very competitive as well they were going up against an excellent nc state defense get a big breather now i'm a bit worried about the situational spot losing in heartbreaking fashion against nc state but you know odu might be in a worse spot after upsetting virginia tech by the way power five teams went 46 and one last week against non-power five teams the only loss was virginia tech but if you look at that old Dominion game last week, look, we were on them, Moneyline Dog, pretty fortunate win. They had five turnovers. You know, Vatex locked in the elevators, just complete incompetence from the Hokies. <laughs> ODU scores on a bomb that gets into the goal line late. They also scored on a snap that went over the head of the Virginia Tech kicker down the half that scored a touchdown there. I was not impressed with the ODU offense, especially the offensive line. Their center walk is getting blown up almost every play. Uh, I think ECU will be able to move the ball much more efficiently. And I think they cover this big number. Holt Nailers laying 12, 12 and a half. What could go wrong? Give me ECU. Oh, he swapped last week. Let's keep it going. What are you going for your favorite favorite? 
I'm going to turn to Wisconsin. Now, listen, we started off this Oh, show. man. Graham Mertz? Yeah. We're laying points to Graham Mertz already? Yeah, yeah we are. Listen, we, we started Mertz. off the show saying one data point. So the one data point we have on Graham Mertz, he went 14 of 16 passing uh, against Illinois State. No turnover-worthy plays. Uh, hey, you know, I mean, that's bankable right there. Mertz is back, baby. He, he's in the Heisman running, uh, you know, just missed it by a couple of years. So you're bringing in a Washington State team that needed an interception at their own 28 with 12 seconds left to survive Idaho, to survive Idaho. That incarnate word offense we thought was going to show up didn't show up. Gavani McCoy for Idaho hit eight different targets through the air, multiple explosive plays. I mean, listen, I'm not expecting many passing downs for Graham Mertz to be throwing in because Braylon Allen is rushing the ball. But if Mertz does light it up in the passing game again, this could get very ugly, very fast. If Washington State is struggling with Idaho, Wisconsin does not have overlook on deck to any Big Ten team. They got New Mexico State the following week. Uh, this is a Braylon Allen show. And when Graham Mertz is asked to pass, he's going to get a defense that could not get out of the building fast enough with a win against Idaho. Our overdog segment is favorites of Graham Mertz. Graham <laughs> Mertz is a favorite and Holt Nailers is a favorite. What yeah. could possibly go wrong all right before we get out of here one final order business third down that is our money line underdog segment turning good weekends into great weekends it's time for the money line parlay it's our favorite money line underdog we'll also have an article out detailing both bets on actionnetwork.com and the action network app we'll go up tomorrow night I'll kick things off. I'm going to go with Georgia State against North Carolina. Georgia State is a seven-point home favorite here. I like them on the spread as well. But this is a team that has shown that they can beat Power 5 teams. Probably should have beat Auburn last year. They did go into Tennessee and beat them, if you recall, a couple of years ago. And last week, as we just talked about, they outgained South Carolina. This is one of the most experienced teams in the country. They came into the season a lot of momentum, finished the year 7-1 and one last year. Once they made the quarterback switch to Granger, rushing, yeah, it's a run-heavy team. They want to lean on you, and they should be able to do that against the same old North Carolina defense. I thought maybe it could be fixed. Gene Chizik is not the savior. They gave up nearly seven yards per carry against App State, and App State receivers, a brand-new receiver, running wide open all the way down the field. So I think Georgia State will be able to pass it much more successfully than last week against South Carolina, and they'll be able to run it. They'll be able to control the clock. Control time possession here. And while UNC, Drake May has looked fantastic at quarterback, finally starting to get some film on him, um, some of his tendencies that I think Georgia State can adjust to. I don't think that Downs will play. Uh, you know, he's questionable. Josh Downs, a star UNC receiver, missed last week. They have a bye on deck than Notre Dame. So it's also a tough situational spot here. I'm sure you get Georgia State's best effort. And we're kind of going on the road for their second straight Sun Belt opponent. Very odd. But I think Georgia State is a good shot to pull off this upset after really just a litany of special teams mistakes cost them the game at South Carolina last week. Really like this Georgia State team. How about you? What say you? I agree with you. I'm going to go with Stanford. We're going to take the trees. 
Uh, I know we said one data point, but hey, that data point happened to be against Colgate, and it was a near flawless box score for Stanford on both sides of the ball. Tanner McKee absolutely lit it up, 22 of 27 passing. He had an average depth of target at 10.1. There's a lot of explosive players, and that's what we're looking for in Pac-12 play is somebody that can match USC's offensive explosiveness, and Stanford can absolutely put up points and a flash on USC. I think this game is a complete coin flip. Stanford's going to pull this win off. These people, the AP voters and all of the rankings and everything, they got USC creeping up in the top five. It's time to do a temperature check on Monday after this game gets played. Stanford all the way outright. And USC and UNC. Love it. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks, as always, to Colin for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review, five-star review. They really help us out. We'll do giveaways, producer extraordinaire matt mitchell if there's any to give away list them off now absolutely got a winner right here stuck it is jmm2329 these guys are awesome first time reviewer long time listener jmm email me at podcasts at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize and good luck everybody with this dog shit slate you've already left the review grab a friend. i saw someone tweeting at me I, i couldn't leave a review i already did last year but here's my review on twitter Appreciate it. That doesn't help us. Leave the review on the app. Really helps us out. You guys have been extremely loyal. We want to return the favor once you do that as well. But this is the time those really help us out. As I mentioned before, make sure you download the award-winning Action Network app and tune in 10.30 a.m. Eastern Saturday morning for Big Bets on Campus Live, where myself, Colin Wilson, and Brett McMurphy will go over the card. Also, one final reminder, make sure you check out the Group of Five podcast by Mike and Mike. That's already out. Thanks to our sponsor, BetMGM, and we'll be back early next week for a recap of the weekend and a look ahead to week three. The cards only get better from here. Let's find some winners on week two, build some momentum, and keep it moving. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.